gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a soggy dog. Welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. Today we're going to talk about the 49-day myth for picking up a puppy. We're going to talk about puppy potty training. And we're also going to talk about putting your decoys out with species groupings. In other words, the same type of uh, duck decoy uh, next to each other as opposed to having a, a mixed bag throughout your spread. So first, I wanted to cover the thought process that you have to pick a puppy up on day 49. This was made popular by a series of hunting training books and it was the first book I read when I was looking at doing training. And it basically stated that you had to have a puppy by day 49 because if you waited until any days after, you were going to somehow curb the bond you have with the dog as well as the dog's ability. Now, this was an opinion put in a book. And obviously, this is my opinion on a podcast. But I feel that after... Having a dog or a Labrador Retriever breeding program for 22 years and also training dogs, I really can make an educated talk about this because this is something that comes up quite often when I have clients that say, I'll buy a puppy from you, but I have to pick it up on day 49. And I don't try to argue it much anymore because quite honestly, people have their idea of what they want and, and I totally respect that. But we always have people that are traveling from all over the country to pick up puppies. So when we are looking at take-home dates, we always do a Saturday after they turn seven weeks of age. I will tell you in full disclosure that I strongly feel that puppies need to be at least seven weeks before they go home. Uh, during that time, up until the seven-week point, they're learning how to be dogs. They're with their mothers. They're with their litter mates. We usually, in our kennel, Soggy Acres Retrievers, will wean the puppies at about five weeks of age and remove the mother. Now people will go, oh, that's so terrible. That's so mean. You, you're taking the mother away from the puppies. The mother does not want to be in by them. You have 10 puppies with teeth that are trying to grab onto her, her, uh, her body parts for milk. And she is just to the point where she just wants to get out of there. She also will, because of nature, when the puppies are nursing, vomit up whatever's in her stomach so the puppies can eat it because that's how nature works. She's basically, I guess, pre-digesting the food. So by five weeks, they want out. Now, the last two weeks, puppies are in a litter. You're getting them through their uh, their worming protocols, their, their, their parasite protocols. They're seen by a vet. They get their first set of shots. And they're also learning how to become puppies in a litter dynamic. By a litter dynamic, they're basically learning how dogs, I guess, 
get themselves set up in a litter where you have the dominant all the way to the recessive. Does this mean that a puppy that is a shirking violet or, or, or the one that is always beat up on will not be a confident dog when they're older? No, but it is the opportunity for as a breeder to, to look and see who's who in the zoo and to have your choices picked out by who's the most dominant, who's the middle of the road, and who's the, uh, the one that is the one sitting in the corner. I've seen all of those dogs turn out to be great hunting dogs. But again, this comes down to, as we're talking about this, why you would need to pick a dog up on exactly day 49. So thinking about day 49, I will tell you that my best dog I've ever purchased was Rommel. Uh, he was a dog that was, uh, that was uh, bought, and I believe he was about eight weeks of age. I don't know how I could have had a better bond or he would have been a better dog if I would have picked him up on day 49 as opposed to day 53 or whatever it was that I picked him up. I can also say with a straight face that every dog that I have in our kennel that we've kept has also went home or came into our home on the day that we did pick up. So that would mean the majority of my dogs that I own, probably 95% of them, were not on day 49. They have turned out fine. Again, I don't get the thought process that somehow these dogs would be better developed in their bond towards humans, their bond toward me in particular, or their ability and acuity to perform in the field. It just, it's a number that's thrown out there. I am sure they have their reasons for it as well, but I put a big case of BS on this one saying that day 49 is the end all be all on buying a puppy. Now you'll find kennels that will allow you to do that um, as far as uh, picking your puppy up on that day. I just, with our kennel, we just can't because we have people coming from all over the country. So we send them home on that Saturday. Could it be something that we could bend the rules on to help someone out if they're first pick? You know, I guess we could, but I always try to explain to people that it's the old don't believe everything you read on the internet or in a book. You know, don't believe everything you hear in a podcast. Again, this is my opinion on it, but the... I would have to see someone who could definitively point to a dog and say that dog was so greatly affected because it went home on day 51 and not day 49. Just not seeing it. Again, that is my opinion and everyone has one, but I just, it's, it's a book. I remember when I read it, I felt very strongly about it too because you're reading this, you're new to the sport. So I hope this helps as people discuss the day 49 myth and helps you understand that it's more about finding a good breeder, having a breeder that's doing good genetics, having a breeder that is testing for uh, health issues, and then having a breeder that is doing a proper job socializing the puppies, which puppy socialization is so important. As a breeder, you need to go out, you need to interact with these puppies, you need to put in bird wings, you need to have them outside if possible, have kids around them if possible, and give them all of their health care so that you have this well-rounded bundle of joy that goes home. And then once you get your dog home, it is about all that you put into your dog. You need to start with structure in your home. 
You need to start with what we're going to talk about next, potty training. You need to start with teaching the puppy the word no, not biting, getting them to listen. These are all important steps so that you don't just buy this great dog and put it away until it's six months old because you don't want to screw it up and do nothing with it. Because at that point, you're going to have a dog that isn't properly socialized and you are going to have issues in the future. So again, the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast opinion, Sidekicker's opinion on the day 49 uh, thought process is that it is a myth. I guess I will go to my grave until someone shows me a definitive study that is a scientific study and not an opinion-based uh, piece that it would actually be fact. So next we are going to talk about getting that puppy home and working with them on potty training. This is something that we go over with all of our clients uh, on the day of take home to help them. And it is something that if you are consistent, you will have your, pot, your dog potty trained or your puppy potty trained in about two weeks. So stay tuned for that after this. This part of the podcast is brought to you proudly by Mech Outdoors. Potty training a puppy is job number one when you get them home. This can be one of the most frustrating things that you'll ever deal with. It can also be something that goes quite fast if you just are consistent with them. The interesting thing or the funny thing is if you talk to clients of mine, I will full right tell them that I am probably the worst person in potty training puppies because of the fact that I have a kennel and I'll be busy and I'll get to the point where I'm like, you know what, I'll just go put you in the kennel for a while. And that allows the puppy to not have inside outside access so that they just go to the bathroom where they're uh, in the kennel and they get used to going inside as opposed to teaching them, no, we don't go inside. We only go outside. So if you are going to get a puppy, what you need to do is get a crate that is just big enough for them to lay down in. If you have too big of a crate, what will happen is the puppy will go to the bathroom in one end and sleep in the other. Very convenient. It's like having a very nice studio apartment for them. You want to have something that is big enough for them to comfortably stand up, turn around, and lay down in because puppies don't want to soil where they're going to lay. If you have a larger crate, you can always section it. Or I always, when we're working with uh, potty training our dogs, I will have a cat carrier. So a smaller crate that is about puppy sized. And then once we're through potty training, we'll graduate into a larger crate. What you have to do is use that crate during the day. So the thought process is you put the puppy in the crate for an hour. When they are going to come out to interact with the family, they're going to be supervised. Prior to having them walk around the house, you take them out of the crate. I carry them to a spot in the yard, let them go to the bathroom, let them sniff around, let them put their scent there. When they go to the bathroom, tell them what a great puppy they are, give them love, pet them, give them a treat, make it a high praise type of a situation, type of a reward. Then you're going to take the puppy into the house. You're going to watch them. When puppies are going to go to the bathroom, they will look for a spot. If you think that they are going to go, take them out in the yard to the same spot that you did before. If they are walking around and just hanging out and doing puppy things, after about an hour of not having accents, put them in the crate. Again, the crate that is small enough for them to not to lay down in, but not to go to the bathroom in one end and sleep in the other. Leave them in the crate for an hour. You're now doing two things. You're getting the puppy ready to be in a crate at night so that at three in the morning when the puppy is crying, you're not going to overreact 
and then at four in the morning and five in the morning, the puppy will be used to being in a crate. If they're yelling, screaming, and carrying on, you can always put it in the closet or the garage if it's warm enough so that they understand that crying is not going to get them out of the crate. Leave them in the crate for an hour. And again, now you are going to take them outside once you bring them out of the crate to the same spot in the yard. Why I don't take them out once they've walked around the house for an hour and put them back in the crate without going outside is you're now teaching them to hold it for two hours. You will eventually stretch this out where it's several hours on each end, in the crate, out of the crate. But always remember, you have to supervise the puppy. If a puppy goes to the bathroom in the house and you catch them, you can grab them by the scruff, tell them bad dog, take them out, outside, and tell them go potty outside and put them down. But if you are not watching the dog, and it could have been up to 5 to 10 minutes when the dog had gone to the bathroom, you can punish yourself because the puppy doesn't know. They've lost it. They forgot. They're like that lady in the progressive commercial where she sees the butterfly and loses her train of thought. They're a puppy. Again, consistency, supervision, and taking them outside to the same spot in the yard. If you follow this process within about 10 days, you will have your dog potty trained. I hope that helps. Next, let's talk about a hunting tip in the segment right after this. This portion of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. So now's our hunting tip, and I wanted to talk about when you're putting your decoys out, making sure that your decoys are grouped according to the species of duck. And this was something that I've always wondered and always kind of done, but this year I made a concerted effort to have my little groups of, of, of decoys that are together. I will always put out uh, later in the season at least four teal because we'll have bluing and greenwing around. Uh, through the majority of the time that I hunt, we have our mallards and we have our wood ducks. Now, those are the three species of ducks that I predominantly get at my place. We do have a new property. It has a lot of food on it, so I'm assuming the migration will come. I may have to get some different species of duck, but until I see a large group of another species, we're just going to stick with those three uh, types of decoys. What I have seen is that it actually works. The wood ducks have been landing by the wood duck decoys. I always put my teal right out front and close to the blind just to see if they'll land there. And nine times out of 10, the teal are landing right by the teal decoys and the mallards are landing by the mallard decoys. The most inconsistent of those three has been the mallards. They're a little they're a little standoffish at times. Sometimes they'll land by themselves. But the wood ducks and the teal have consistently been landing right by each other. So this has been something that was an interesting, I guess, science project for me. Uh, it was something that I really thought of this year and wanted to try. And it's it's just been kind of a cool thing to watch where the ducks actually do recognize the decoys. Yes, I know. We all spent lots of money on decoys. We want them to be lifelike. But my point to myself was, I wonder if they're actually going to finish right by their perceived plastic brethren. And lo and behold, this year, through my unscientific uh, uh, try, my unscientific project, I have watched 
100% of the teal finished by the teal, 90% of the wood ducks finished by the wood ducks, and probably about 70% of the mallards finished by the mallards. So it's been an interesting thing. I thought that would give you an idea for when you are doing your uh, your spreads during your hunt. I try to have these groups all within range, of course, and have them at different spots. So we kind of have like the wood duck segment, the teal segment's usually right in front, and then our mallard segments I will usually put uh, a couple different groupings of them. It's worked out well for me. Try it in the field. Let me know if it works for you. Thank you so much for listening to uh, today's podcast. Really appreciate it. I know there are a lot of options out there. We will put out at least two a week, and we love to have you as listeners. Please, if you want to have a question answered, email us, sportingdogtv at gmail.com, and we can make your question part of the show. We'll talk to you next time. God bless. Sporting dog adventures, run, boy, run. Everything you need is here.